Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. That's what we don't want at the the invitation, right? I'm going to open up with Romans chapter 7. Paul says, Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but if her husband dies... She is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. We are... In, in maybe a little bit easier language, we are dead to our old life. There is a difference between what you were before you became a Christian and what you are. If there is no difference, then I would say that there is no transformation. And if there is no transformation, what right do we have to say that we follow God, that we, that we are Christians? Because Before we were following God, we had to have been different than we are when we're following God. And we weren't perfect before, that's for sure. You know, if you have always, some some of you may be like me, you say, well, I've been in the church my whole life, I haven't known anything else. Okay, well, we can hypothesize, what would you be like if there was no church, if there was no God? How would your life be different if none of this was part of your life? We 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 can think through that. There is a gulf as wide as death between the church and the world, or or there should be. And so with that, we're going to be actually in John chapter 11 today, as we continue our study through the book of John and Jesus' love. So, I, I am very saddened, Lincoln Christian University, my alma mater, is closing, um, a lot of colleges, as you know, a lot of colleges were struggling before the pandemic. Costs are out of control. I, honestly, I think that one of the biggest things is that people can go to school online. And, and with increasing online degrees, a lot of people are, are signing up for that. Um, and, and college enrollment is kind of down these days. Regardless, um, I went to Lincoln Christian University and lived in something called Timothy Hall. And 
as has often been said, among the Restoration Movement colleges, Timothy Hall was the fraternity of the Christian colleges. Uh, had its three Greek letters, Omicron, Pi, Eta. Um, it, 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 was, it was fun. Um, and, and I enjoyed it. I, 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 the guy that wears ripped up blue jeans and barefoot, I was a lot less serious back then than I am now. Um, uh, and, and, and the pranks, oh, the pranks. One night, we went up and down the dorm, and everybody that slept with their room, I, how do people sleep with their room open to the hallway? They learned not to. Um, armed with a screwdriver, uh, a lot of people lost their doors last night entirely, the entire door that we put in the mail room, in the cafeteria, up on the roof of the building. And then when we were questioned by, about, about it by the dean of students, I appreciated my buddy Steve looked at me and he said, it's a Christian college, we can't lie. Yes, we did this. Um, I, we, 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 had a bad, we, we, had, we got a hard rap, but, but we had a lot of fun. And we, we played hard. Timothy Hall produced more preachers than the other dorm. Uh, we played hard, but we studied hard. Um, we prayed hard. Uh, we, we were serious about our faith. I'm grateful that growing up, um, through all the experiences I've had, good and bad, uh, my parents instilled in me, my college instilled in me, it's all about our relationship with God through his son Jesus. This is all that matters at the end of the day. All the other, st- you guys know I like my board games, I like my comic books, I like my science fiction. I like, none of it matters compared, I mean, I mean, none of it, it's all worthless. Only a relationship with God through Jesus matters. That doesn't mean that hobbies don't matter. I've got too many, but none of it matters. Only a relationship with God through Jesus matters. Um, and, and if you say, Jason, you, you keep coming back to that concept of a relationship. Yeah, that's the, that's the only, the rest is just stuff. That's the point of the church. The definition of faith held to us throughout the New Testament, that the example, Abraham believed God, not believed in God. Abraham believed God, and that was righteousness. And that's an Old Testament verse, Genesis verse, that's then quoted four different times in the New Testament. Um, And James adds, and this is why he was God's friend. God wants to be our friend. He wants a friendship with us. Do we, are we friends with God? Do we have a relationship with him through his son Jesus? That's what faith is about. Jesus loves his friends, and he shows his love for his friends. And we'll look at that in the book of John. This is what faith is. It's a relationship with God. It's not in academic knowledge. There are, there are people in history books I read about that I think are pretty neat. Um, there was a there was an Egyptian Christian named Athanasius. I like reading about him. He had some pretty strong faith. I, I, I have a lot of respect for Athanasius. Um, there are some Roman philosophers like Marcus Aurelius that I think are pretty neat, neat characters. Um, I don't have relationships with them. I can read about them, but I don't know them. Jesus, I don't just read about him in the Bible. I know him, and he knows me. And And like Abraham, I want to be his friend. I want to be the friend of God. I want the relationship. Faith 
brings that reward. Now you're going to say, Jason, doesn't God love everybody? Doesn't Jesus love everybody? Yes, but not everybody's saved. God's love is not enough to be saved. And to some extent, it come, you get what I'm going to say. It's not worth anything if we don't accept it. God loves everybody, but not everybody has accepted that love, that offer of salvation. So if God loves you and you say, I don't even believe in you, that love is, is worthless. It's not that God is worthless, and it's not that what he offers is worthless, but if you fail to accept it, it has no value. I, the great example, I could write you a check for, you know, pick a big number, pick a thousand, ten thousand. I write you a check. If you tear it up, what's the value of that check? It has no value. If we tear up God's offer of love, it's no, so, so knowing that, when we talk about friendship with God, that's, the, that, that's when the love of God has value. A relationship with Jesus has value. And quite frankly, it's the only thing that has value. It's the only thing you can take with you when you die. And as I say, I studied a lot of Egyptians, um, studied, studied a lot of the, the pyramids and the pharaohs and Pyramids are great gigantic places of stone that they buried guys in with all their stuff and they didn't take it with them. And in fact, you can't take any of it with you except your relationship with Jesus. It's the only thing you have that's permanent. Everything else you leave behind. It's the one thing you take with you. So I want to look at that today. The rewards of faith, John chapter 11. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death, no It is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. And after he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Thomas gets a bad rap. Thomas is, the, is I mean, we, we, doubting Thomas. We, we, we know what Thomas is famous for. Thomas is convinced that going to visit Lazarus is going to get Jesus killed. But Jesus will not be dissuaded from going. And therefore, Thomas says, then I will die with you. 
He gets a bad rap, but Thomas was willing to die with Jesus in this moment. That's faith. That's loyalty. Faith brings risk. How how many of us have the same attitude? Let us follow him and die with him. You say, now hang on, Jason. I came to church on Sunday morning. I didn't come here to die. Um, Sunday morning is one thing. Dying with Jesus? But what if it came to that? Because if we're not willing to follow him all the time, even unto death, then we are not worthy to follow him. He must be worth more than everything, and that must include, it, that must include our lives. Now, following Jesus may not threaten our lives in West Virginia in the end of 2023. Probably not. But what does, but it do, but what does it threaten? Does it threaten our income? Could we have gotten a promotion if we were willing to work on Sunday mornings? Does it threaten our free time? I would argue it should. Our comfort zone? At some point, it should impact our life. If it doesn't, I think a fair question is, are we following him? Has he made a difference in my life or am I deluding myself? How how do I know if I am following Jesus? How do I prove that I am a Christian? As always, too often I'll quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that German theologian who says that being a Christian will cause you to suffer. Maybe not in a concentration camp of Hitler like he did, but when Bonhoeffer says this, he's just quoting scripture. First Peter chapter 1 says that we will suffer. We will be refined in the fire. So if we're just sitting around comfortable and Christianity is all about getting blessings and not not suffering with our Savior, then we may have missed the point. Jude chapter 23 tells us, verse 23, doesn't have chapters. Jude verse 23 tells us that we need to snatch the lost people from the fire. Uh, do, we, do we get that? People are on fire. And we sit around on our sofas and in our padded pews and we say, we'll pray for you. And, and let me be clear, praying is a great, too often we treat prayer as a last resort. I've tried everything else, I guess I'll pray. Prayer is the first resort, but it's not where we end. Prayer should be the foundation that then leads into all else that we do. It undergirds our efforts, but it can't be the end all. Um, I, I, when I was a student at Lincoln, uh, when I got there, the president, I, he, he would allow me to share the story. The president was a man named Chuck McNeely, and... and I, my first sermon at my home church went something like an hour and a half. And normally, first sermons are about 10 minutes because people write what they think will be a 30-minute-ish sermon, and they fly through it, and they did not estimate appropriately. You, can, you know me now. It's been eight and a half years. I estimate the wrong direction, and I insist on writing on one sheet of paper both sides and not a line over because if it's a line over it's too long and I know that because I'm long-winded I know this you know this um and so my horror story for my first sermon was it was way too long I appreciated that President McNeely the horror story he said was Jason I, I just I chose a scripture that everybody knew 
and I didn't bother looking up the scripture reference. He said, I was stunned to find out after the sermon when one of the elders pulled me aside, you know, he's a young man, you know, when he was 19, 20, whatever, and pulled him aside and said, you know that God helps those who help themselves is not actually a Bible verse. That's what he preached on. Um, Having said that, (laughs) I think it's not a bad principle to some extent. Um, God... God, help, God doesn't expect us to sit around and lazily just wait for the blessings to come in. We pray and then we act. Based on what we've prayed about, what God reveals to us, the church is not called to be passive or defensive. People are scared of death. But we all taste it, don't we? I Just yesterday I was, was, was watching one of my favorite TV shows and a couple of the characters get sick in this TV show, and the one says, I'm dying? He said, I can't be die- diseased. He says, I can't be dying. And, and the other guy says, no, I'm, I'm afraid that you can. He said, in fact, that's probably the one thing you and I have in common. We can both do this. We're all, we're all going, unless the world ends, we're all going to taste death one day. Thomas knows how to do it. Thomas is okay with this. He's comfortable with this. No fear because he's with Christ. And so he gets this bad rap. But, but I really respect Thomas's faith in this. Jesus, if you're going to do this, I'm going to die with you. Come on, gang, are you in? He's willing to lay his life down for Jesus. Would that I would have the faith and devotion that Thomas shows us here. Faith brings risk. Let's, let's, let's keep reading. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Martha gets a bad rap. She's the one that we remember that Jesus comes to visit. She's too worried about getting the house cleaned and doing the dishes and doing the cooking that she's got all these other things that she's doing when she could be sitting at Jesus' feet and learning from the Messiah, but she's worried about the dishes. But... But see what a woman Martha is. Who is Jesus? He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter said that, and Jesus said, You're right, Peter, and on that foundation, I will build my church. That's kind of a, and we say it's a big deal that Peter knew that. So it's kind of a big deal that Martha knows that. The big deal is not that she believes in a resurrection. You know, most Americans believe in heaven. I don't know why. Most Americans these days don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. 
but they believe that there's a heaven, and frankly, most Americans think that they're going there, and they probably don't deserve to think that. And I, and I say that not to be mean, just Jesus said, small is the way and narrow... Small is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life, and few find it. Um, I think I think we delude ourselves too easily on that. Most Americans think they're going to heaven because that's where you go when you die. Most of the Jews believed in the resurrection. Other than the Sadducees, they pretty much all believed it. Jesus told her that he was the resurrection. Jesus has authority over life and death itself. Faith in him brings resurrection. Um, and, and then there's more. Jesus is the reason that there will be a resurrection. And that's the big deal. And, and here's the big news. And, and, and Martha got that. I mean, that's, the, that, that's, that's, the, that's impressive that Martha understood that. But here's, here's what I think is even the bigger news. That new life is now. Uh, we are resurrected from a dead end, going nowhere, going through the motions life. I've said this before. I don't know how non-Christians do it. If you're not a Christian, when you wake up in the morning, this is it? What, what, what is there to look forward to uh, that has meaning? I know that all of this is prepping me for paradise with God for forever. And so the bad times are making me a better person for long term, uh, for eternity. Uh, the good times are, are, are nice. Uh, <laughs> my dad would ask people, how are you doing? And regardless of their answer, he would say, you'll get over it. And, and it's true. How are you doing? If you say, I'm, having, I'm great, you'll get over it. That, that will pass. You, you will not be great for forever. If you're having a bad day, you'll get over it. The bad times are also temporary. This life is temporary. Eternity is forever. And, and knowing that, all of the temporariness of life is fine. But if I wasn't looking forward to eternity with God, all that temporary stuff matters, like a lot. And then it's all over and I'll get over it and be dead. And, and then there's nothing. But if I'm with God for eternity, it matters. The resurrection changes us now. The rect- and, but the resurrected life doesn't matter if it doesn't change us. Um, because I'm different than I would have been otherwise. I become, you become, a walking billboard for Jesus. Our changed life is a display to the world, or it should be. Um, and if it isn't, then, the change, then we're not changed or, or the change doesn't matter. Lazarus is a walking testimony. We, we know how this ends. Jesus is going to resurrect Lazarus. And then the Pharisees and Sadducees want to kill Lazarus. Why? Because he is a walking testimony that Jesus is the Messiah. Lazarus having been dead in the tomb for four days. You know, at four days, it's not, oh, this guy was accidentally dead. His breathing got shallow. Four days later, bound Four days later, he comes out. He was dead. Jesus resurrecting him. As Lazarus walks around, the enemies of Jesus want to kill the evidence because Lazarus is an advertisement for Jesus, and we are called to be the same. Regardless of Lazarus, regardless of death itself, 
We have the resurrection. We have it now. There's no stopping Jesus and no need for our faith to be on hold. We have the faith now. We have new life now. And so we keep reading in verse verse 28. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, my Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? When Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. for He's been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Mary gets a bad rap. She's often portrayed as flighty, messy, rather bohemian compared to Martha. And more than that, she also scolds Jesus for not being here on time. But I don't actually think that's what she's saying. It might look like that. But what what she, I think what she's saying, this is a statement of faith. Jesus could have prevented death itself. Jesus could have prevented her brother from dying, and she knew it. And that's faith. Why then say this to him? Jesus was her refuge. Her faith in Jesus was her refuge. This is where she put her faith. Jesus, you could have kept him from dying. More than that, you he brings, more than that, she, he could bring her brother back from the dead. Jesus commands those at the tomb to unbind him, to, un, to loosen that which binds him. Death no longer has a hold of Lazarus now that Jesus sets him free. The very, very first word in Greek class we learned uh, is that word unbind. Luo is the Greek word. It's They teach it to you because it's an easy word to remember. It's regular. There's no weird declensions when you're parsing the verb out in all the different Greek forms. 
literally the very first word that they teach you in Greek class, luo, or it was when I took Greek. Um, he is unbound. i reminded of what we opened with in Romans chapter 7. The law, says Paul, only has a hold of you when you are alive. Death brings freedom, brings release. We are, when we die to sin, die to the old world, to our old life, we are, we are freed. We are unbound. We are released. Paul says that we have died to the law, and he says that Jesus' death brings our freedom because Jesus has that kind of power. It's, it's similar to the word. It's not the same word, but the last word of the book of Acts, which the full name is the Acts of the Apostles. The book of Acts is the story of the early church, and it ends, the final word in, in the Greek language is unhindered, unfettered. You know, in the same way that Lazarus is unbound and we are unbound from the law, the gospel is proclaimed unfettered. Jesus can release us from the trappings of death and the punishment of law. The world is guilty of breaking the law of God. Death with Christ releases us from that. We are no longer guilty criminals, but we are children of the King. and We are forgiven. We are safe. When we are heirs of God, safe from the law, it has no hold on us. Jesus is our refuge, a safe place to put our faith. In fact, He's the only safe place. He is the only, only thing, the only one we can count on. This world will let you down. Everything in this world, everyone in this world will let you down. God never lets us down. Uh, now you're going to say, but Jason, when I, I don't get all my prayers aren't answered, but he never makes that promise that, that you're going to get what you want all the time. He's not a genie. People make that promise too often on behalf of Jesus, but that's not a promise that he makes. What Jesus promises us is life eternal with him and a, be- and a better life now. It is. I think life is better now with him than without. Will there be a risk in following Jesus? Absolutely. Will there be suffering when we follow him? Yes. Will there be joy? Absolutely. That's the point. There will be freedom from slavery. There will be love. That's what we're in this for. Jesus Christ is the only one worth putting our trust in. No one else can save us. Life, I still reiterate, life has no point. Outside of the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, life is going nowhere otherwise. Our hymn of decision is hymn number 321. Our focus is too too often too much on us. If the miracles aren't happening in our life, if things aren't going our way, then... God has let us down, or we're doing things wrong. Or, or, but instead, we should say, Lord, command me. There should be submission in our lives. Have we submitted our lives to Christ? Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.